Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Now, we've had many conversations about personal leadership, leading self, and boy, oh boy, you do not want to miss this particular episode because when we talk about resilience and grit, courage, determination, and absolute focus, well, we're not going to do any better, are we, than being able to talk to Rob Lilwall, who as he will tell the story, geography teacher suddenly turned into the extraordinary adventurer. How about a 35,000 mile bike ride from Siberia to London? If that's not enough, how about a walk from Mongolia to Hong Kong? And if that's not enough, how about deciding to traverse the desert of death solo? You've got to hear this story. Do not miss this episode. Come back to me just after this. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Well, there we go, Rob. It's a massive welcome to the Leadership Enigma. I know you're in Singapore, and so thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much. Great to be with you, Adam. Now, after that introduction, this is going to be a lot of fun <laughs> for the listeners as well. We've got an amazing picture of a desert behind Rob as well. So let's start the story somewhere. You decide, I mean, as I said, from geography teacher to an extraordinary adventurer who's doing pretty crazy yeah. things solo. But how did this come about, Rob? Yeah, well, this this kind of a big backstory, but to, yeah, okay. to cut it short, I was I, I you know I was always a little bit into adventure, did a few little things when I was younger, and then I became a high school geography teacher. It's just sort of felt this pr- pressure, I suppose, to be. Well, that's an adventure as well. Like, for some reason, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was. It was actually pretty hard. It was it was fun, but um, but uh, then I, then I ended up to cut a long story short. A friend asked me to come and meet him in Siberia and cycle back to England. Um. So I got on a plane from England and I flew across to northeast. Right, you can see this on the slides yeah. behind if you're watching. And I flew across to, to really as far away as from home as we could think of, which was northeast Siberia. And then got off the plane, took the bicycle, and cycled home. And um, the route, uh, there's the route. Uh, that's the route I took. <laughs> um, I ended up just Brilliant. doing the um, the first few months of it with my friend and then we kind of split up and went our different ways back to the UK. I took this, you can see this huge detour down to Australia, hitchhiking on boats across the sea and then back and I went through Tibet, Afghanistan, Iran on the way home. So it turned into this kind of crazy three-year journey. Um, and, uh, but, you know, you sort of mentioned that, you know, my, my sort of tagline is that the extraordinary adventurer, but it, it, I should point out it's not extraordinary, it's extraordinary. Because I always say when I'm telling my stories, I'm not Mr. Tough Guy. I, you know, I naturally, I'm a pretty frightened person, was never in the Olympics or the military or anything like that. Um, 
but but what I but what I found, I'm, I'm I am extraordinary, extraordinary sort of guy. But what I found on these journey, this journey and other journeys, was it wasn't about b- being like Mr. Tough Guy or never feeling afraid or being the most qualified person in the room. It was much more about having the right attitudes and mindsets as I went through the many kind of different challenges and scary things on the way. Let me go back to you said you got a call from a friend. Is he still yeah. a friend after making this suggestion? <laughs> a friend yeah. who said to you, hey, just meet me in Siberia and you fancy a bike ride to London. Now, I, you said that very quickly. I just want to dwell on that for a moment because that's not yeah, an yeah. ordinary phone call, Rob. Okay, I've, I've, As yet, I've not had a friend ring up and say, hey, what are you doing, buddy? I'm in Siberia. Let's cycle. Um, when you got that call, what went through your mind when you were thinking to yourself, should I? Shouldn't I? Yeah, I mean, it was, like I say, there's a bigger kind of backstory. So this friend was my sort of adventuring friend when I was at, you know, uni. So we'd done a few things. And he was actually in the middle of a real, this guy called Alistair Humphreys. He's yeah. based in the UK now. He was in the middle of a big round the world bicycle ride. And he'd cycled through Africa and the Americas. And I'd sometimes in my school holidays gone and cycled a bit, you know, through a country with him. And then he, it was actually an email, not a phone call. He sent me this email and said, you know, I'm tired of my own company. Why don't you come and join me for the whole of this final bit across Asia? And I suppose what went through my head was, so what if this is like 15 years ago now, but I think it was a mixture of that would be so cool, but then can I sort of justify do it? It's sort of just sort of leaving normality so much. And it wasn't going to be like a big financial um Cost because this friend, me and this friend Al, would learn on these adventures. You can do very, very cheaply if you live in a tent and you eat instant noodles. Basically, <laughs> it costs you a few pounds a day. Yeah. Um, and I had about ten thousand pounds of sort of my life savings, so I knew I could go and do this. I had you just live very cheap. You can make your life savings last. So it wasn't so much like oh, I have to spend years saving up and getting sponsorship, all that. It was more just can I justify going off? And I, yeah, I think I knew it would be risky. I don't think I realized when I set off quite how, as I went along, I would keep on setting myself bigger goal. You know, it was like every time I got used to one challenge, I'd be setting myself new ones, which is an interesting thing I've thought about a lot more recently. It's like, why do I keep setting myself new challenges? But um, yeah, where's yeah, that so coming in from? The end, just, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'll come back to that at the end of the talk. Cause <laughs> I, I think on my more recent journeys, I've really, dug deep and asked myself like what is it you know that pushes some of yeah. us to do these things yeah. we're coming back to that question for sure rob let me tell yeah, you yeah yeah, yeah 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 okay so you decide to pack everything up as you say and and take your savings and take your bike uh, and away you go over to siberia um tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. you know what that feels like when you you really do find yourself on the other side of the world and, and and away you go. Is there a grand plan? And you say you took, if I look at the map behind you, that's a hell of a detour as well, I can see. Yeah, uh, there wasn't really, uh, yeah, uh, this bit, if you're looking at the map, the, the Australia bit of the detour was not on the plan. I was supposed to cycle without the whole way. Like I say, we just ended up cycling uh, the Siberian bit together. And when we got to Japan, we split up partly because um, there was a bit of cabin fever because we've been stuck together in Russia for months and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute but uh but i think also we what i was beginning to think i wanted to do a detour uh but i think the big reason we split up was i i think i was realizing 
again, this is like, why do you do these things? So there are sure. all these different layers to that question. There's the superficial answer, which is like, I like adventure. It is not superficial, but it's a sort of easy answer. But then as you dig deep, you realize there yeah. are loads of motivations. And one of them I realized was I just wanted to grow up. I knew I was you know, not, not a very grown up person. I struggled a lot with fear. And I think I just realized if I'm going to really grow on this journey, I need to face, face the road alone. I can't keep going with a friend. My friend was more experienced than me. I sort of was slightly following his lead and I thought I've got to face this thing by myself. So that, that was why we split. Um, and there was not a real plan. I suppose the only real two parts of the plan was uh, finish when I get home. Uh, so cycling home from Siberia was the name of the journey. Uh, and then the other thing was take the most interesting route I can think of. So that just sort of meant I kept taking these detours as I went. How old were you at this point? I was 27 uh, and 30 when I finished. 27 when you started and 30 when you finished. Because you, you actually said you, you yeah. wanted to uh, grow up a bit and, and maybe discover something about yourself as well. And I'm, and I'm keen to, to dig a little bit deeper in relation to what you started to discover on this first expedition. So you'd made, and, and it is a, a courageous decision that, let's be honest, most people would not make. So let's just start there. The majority of people would not make that decision to just pack up and go to Siberia to do this. So you've done it. You're there. What are you starting to learn about yourself as you're going through this process or all those things that are kind of front of mind for you? Yeah, I think um, through a lot, I'll just, I'll just pull up some slides as we're going through. Yeah. This. I think, um, so here's, here we are. There's me and Al. The day we set off from this little city called Magadan, which is a, it's, it's really a, a sad city in, in Russia because it was a gulag city where a lot of, prisoners got sent under Stalin. Right. And it's actually a bit funny talking about, well, not funny, a bit um, slightly strange, uncomfortable talking about this right now because yeah. suddenly Russia is back in the news as the world's big bad guy. Um, and uh, when we did this journey, it was 2004 when we set off, end of 2004. And, uh, you know, I knew Russia's reputation from the Cold War always sounded a bit scary. But actually, I just want to say up front, the people we met in Russia in these quite kind of wild, wild East Russian gulag mining towns. So incredibly friendly, incredibly kind people, right. very kind of gritty, tough guys. And, and, and it was a wonderful experience, actually, of Russia. And that was throughout the journey. I think starting off the journey, just a big picture message from the journey was often when I went to a new country, which had a bit of a reputation, I'd feel quite scared, whether it was like, uh, you know, uh, Russia or Iran or Papua New Guinea. Some of these places have got quite dangerous reputation or very dangerous reputation. But when I got there, of course, there are some dangers. There are some issues with governments. But the normal people you meet, are, you know, often actually the, the places with the worst reputations often had the kindest people, the ones who would invite you to stay the night when it was right. getting cold or, you know, give you a cup of tea or, or, you know, insist on paying for your lunch. And that was a really brilliant and, a, and and huge experience over the three years of again and again being frightened and then realizing actually the people here are lovely and um it's 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 just so important to distinguish between a government and the people i think maybe that's a especially poignant message it, right now it's this big tragedy unfolding yeah you know i agree with you now um, I, you, I i've got an 18 year old daughter who is a, a real traveler uh, she's away at the moment uh, uh, she's forever away that's her thing um, what are you learning as you're meeting completely different people from you? Uh, you know, from uh, completely different cultures, different languages, different everything. Everything is different. What are you learning as you've taken yourself out of what I might describe as a comfort zone 
uh, you're a regular guy from the UK, say you're a school teacher, um, say you followed maybe a more traditional path, and suddenly, as you say, you're in gulag mining towns, uh, and you are immersed in a completely different environment. What is that teaching you or helping you with? I mean, I think, um, I mean, just on the, like, learning about humanity, you know, and you'll know this too from your own your own travels, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of things which are very different uh, and there's a lot of things which seem very different, but then there's a lot of, so much which unites us, you know, people, you know, uh, laugh and they smile and they can't, most people want to be kind. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, it's, there's a lot that, that um, unites us. It's, it's kind of obvious, but, and just things like, even when I couldn't speak a language, you smile a bit and yeah. everybody wants to sort of smile back and, and, and help you out. So that was, again, I learned on the way, I think on a, on a personal le- 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 level, a big journey I, I learned early on. So I'll just pull these slides across. Um, so we set off into Siberia. We were meeting these Russians in the villages. They were all, they're all super friendly. They were pretty worried about us because we were, we were, it was September when we set off and they said, you know, welcome to Russia, welcome to Siberia. But why if you come in September, winter's coming. <laughs> right. If you keep going down this road, you're going to die. Um, and, and we said, what, you know, and they said, yeah, you're going to freeze to death in the winter. Um, and we said, well, uh, we're, we're prepared. And then they said, well, well, if you don't get, if you don't freeze to death, you're going to be eaten by a bear. And we said, okay. And then, they, then we said, well, well, you know, hopefully not. And they said, oh no, if not, if not the bears, then it'll be the people, you know, in the real wilderness, the people are really tough and dangerous. Uh, you'll get, you'll get killed. Um, so all these, diff- these very um, friendly, but slightly pessimistic um, <laughs> folks we met along the way, we're all telling us we're going to die, but we kept on going. Uh, and then the winter did arrive about two weeks after we set off. It started to snow and we started uh, kind of continuing on falling off the bikes on the ice and the road sort of disappeared. And there was only one road back to civilization, this little track. Um, and the temperature kept getting colder and colder. So it got to about, it got right down to the bottom of my thermometer. I don't know if you could see that. It's minus, yeah, 40, minus 40, which is where centigrade Fahrenheit and um, centigrade meet at minus 40. So you got no confusion. And, um, and, uh, and, and it was, you know, it was this uh, kind of crazy experience. If you if you want to know what it's like at minus 40, next time you put your hand in your freezer to get your ice cream out, you know, just imagine how your hand feels. Yeah. That's about minus 20. So imagine putting your hand in there, holding it there, doubling how cold it is, and then keeping it there for six months. And you've got a Russian winter. And um, it's it's pretty crazy experience. But I think maybe this is a little bit of a in hindsight thing, which I realized I was learning on this trip. If you'd asked me a year beforehand, uh, would you be able to go and camp at minus 40 next year? I'd have said, no way. That is for like military Arctic people or explorers or, you know, not for normal people like me. But the amazing thing was we did learn how to survive at minus 40. And it wasn't that, complicated it was quite simple it, it was simple but it wasn't easy i think so often in life things are simple doesn't mean they're easy so we had we did prepare obviously we had some warm clothes uh we did um get advice especially from the russians we found out how do you how do you you know how do you say so well, the key thing was to keep moving if you keep moving you stay pretty warm and then um we just practiced as the temperature gradually got colder we were able to practice camp, putting up a tent in minus 20, minus 30. And, and so we did learn to survive at minus 40. And I think that was a, a huge, huge lesson on the trip overall was just, um, and putting it into sort of 
psychology terms. It was like developing a growth mindset. I think before I'd had a bit of a fixed mindset where I'd think, oh, I'm not very good at that. I'm okay at that. You know, I'm not, let's say, public speaking. I'm not very good at that. And I think the, the whole trip, turned me into a much more growth mindset guy where I think, yeah, I'm not very good at that yet, but I can learn how to do it. Um, and I can embrace, if I embrace a big challenge, it will force me to grow. And that's been a huge lesson on adventures, but also in like now my job is a public speaker and a writer and things that I never would have thought I could do. Now, Rob, when we talk about the growth mindset, that is something that comes up a lot in leadership for sure. And one of the things that I, I want to ask you is you've got various uh, messages of doom. And if you do this, death. If you do that, death. And you just pushed on. And as you say, not many people will ever have the experience of ever feeling what minus 40 is like, let alone living and adventuring through it. So did you find that actually when we talk about the growth mindset, you had no option. You were literally immersed in an environment where if you didn't learn, potentially, Rob, your life was on the line. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, in, in, in a sense, it's certainly a fair comment that, like, we went for it. And we once we went through it, we had no choice except to, you know, when you're in the winter and it's getting dark, you have to put up your tent and, and figure out how to stay warm and stay alive. So in that sense, throwing yourself in, very literally into a kind of deadly environment, it's it's sort of live or die, got to do it. Um on another sense, and this is something else I've reflected on a lot, is is to do with uh, danger and fear and, and all this stuff. And I think fear is a fact. I mean, I've always struggled with fear, especially as a young person, super shy person. Right. And um, and uh, and it was, I suppose, something Al was teaching. My friend Al was teaching me because he'd been already cycling for a few years and he'd got used to doom and gloom stories going into a place. Often there'd be a lot of doom and gloom and people aren't being like me you know they're just they're worried about you and often they don't completely know uh what's a, what you know where you're going they just heard the reputation of the place you're going uh, and it's interesting those three dangers you know they talked yeah. about the cold well cold is dangerous but if you prepare you get advice you practice like we did you can survive anybody you could survive you know a few weeks practice you could survive minus four anybody could um uh if they if they really uh, wanted to so cold wasn't a serious danger if you're prepared bears obviously scary things statistically pretty unlikely when the winter comes bears hibernate so actually there was one or two weeks when there might have been a few bears before the snow came but then the bears was a very low risk right. um, and once we were in a, a in a village just a local village of the sort of the saka indian people the sort of siberian um uh indigenous people and they were um they, this guy kept saying, there are wolves, don't camp tomorrow. You stay with us tonight, don't camp, there are wolves. And I said, oh, how often uh, uh, have you seen wolves in this village? He said, I've never seen wolves. Uh, and, you know, have you ever seen wolves when you're out? No, I've never seen them, but there are wolves. And, right. and so sometimes there's this sort of worry about you, there's reputation and so on. But the bears, again, was not a huge danger. And then the, 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 the Russian people were, were warning us about the Russians in the wilderness because they'd heard the reputation. There is a bit of crime up there, of course. But um, it turned out in the wilderness, the Russians were very, very friendly. We did run into a little bit of trouble going through the cities when people were drunk and so on. But um, 
Actually, somebody pulled a gun on us once, so you, you run into oh. more trouble in the, in the cities. <laughs> there you but, go. Um, Just I love that in, as a throwaway the... comment, Rob. Oh, yeah, someone pulled a gun on us. But anyway, moving on, yeah. the cold. But, but yeah, yeah, but it, the, the interesting thing was we were warned about the people in the wilderness. Turned out they were incredibly friendly. And so those three big dangers of the, the cold bears, you know, the people in the wilderness, turned out not to be the dangers at all. And fear is is such a weird thing because it, it's a helpful emotion. It warns you when you're in danger, possible danger. Yeah. And so we shouldn't ignore our fear, but often it will kind of exaggerate. And, and, and obviously it has this kind of huge effect on us. It can kind of paralyze us or, make, you know, fight or flight. Um, but I find it so important. You really try and understand the actual risks. Um, and for example, on this whole journey, the biggest danger I faced by far, people always think wild animals, weather, people, you know, guns. Uh, by far, the biggest danger was the traffic, you know, on the journey as a whole. Right. I got knocked off twice, once in South Korea, once in Pakistan. I, you know, just accidentally a driver knocked me off. Um, uh, and luckily I was okay. But that was a much, much bigger danger than, you know, being eaten by a bear. Yeah, that, that was very unlikely, really. So it's amazing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I was much it? more afraid of the more afraid of the bears. It's like balancing the folk tale, isn't it, with the actual reality? And if you can, uh, as yeah. you say, cross that line into "I'm going to do it," and then find that the reality is is somewhat different. I mean, let me just and I know I'm shuttling through here. You you've done that incredible adventure, which is a thirty five thousand mile bike ride, which took three years of your life. How comes that wasn't enough? <laughs> yeah so this is i suppose where i guess it, the sort of the plot thickens a bit with, with my sort of adventure journey as yeah. it were because i i i sort of thought when i finished it would be enough um and i uh, was thinking i would go back to teaching yeah. um wasn't like crazily excited about that idea but i sort of thought oh, i'll go you know hopefully i'll be a better teacher i've grown up a bit um and uh but then I, I actually had a few lucky breaks and i think luck you know luck for all, a lot of us it's you have those lucky breaks and life. my lucky breaks were one i was as i cycled along i used to sometimes i'd email international schools which were in the cities ahead and right. i'd offer to give a little talk in an assembly okay and uh I, they would give me a hundred dollars and a place to stay you know sort of sort of help me live um and i just just before i got home i, I was uh, cycling through italy and i got invited to this school in rome gave this talk to these kids and at the end, the kid put her hand up and she said, what are you going to do with your video footage? Because I've been sort of self-filming myself with this camcorder yep. on the way. I showed a bit of footage and I said, probably nothing. Um, you know, and I, I still was a little bit, I was quite low on confidence. I wasn't sort of the sort of person to go knocking on the door of a TV studio. And I thought that was so unlikely. So I said, probably nothing. And then this girl went home, told her dad, and he was um, like a super, super senior guy at National Geographic uh, TV. And he sent me this email and said, we'd love to see your footage. So I thought, okay, I sent them the footage. They made a TV show. And um, and then a publisher in the UK sort of read my blog, asked me to write a book. And then I, I started, when I wrote the book, I gave a lot more talks yeah. in the schools in the UK. And then I, I married my uh, my wife, uh, who I'd actually met in Hong Kong in the middle of the journey, uh, when I was cycling through Hong Kong, right. married her in the UK, we moved to Hong <laughs> Kong. And, um, and then I was suddenly this sort of, I was sort of this, I'd become sort of professional and I started getting invited to do the corporate speeches and I, uh, you know, and that all kind of, kind of went well. I was, you know, it's this like, how on earth did this happen to me? And, um, and then of course, now as this so-called professional adventurer, 
I felt a pressure to do uh. another one. So it was partly, <laughs> you know, partly I wanted to, and I was starting to get itchy feet. But I think that what, if I'm really honest, and I've, I've explored, I've thought about this a lot more in the last couple of years. I think there was, I did feel this sort of pressure to prove myself, I suppose, a, a sort of imposter syndrome, you know, it's right. another term being thrown around these days, like, oh, am I, do I really deserve to be on this stage speaking to these folks? I better do another one. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to, and then the second one, I'll pull up the map there, was this walk from, um, thought I've done cycling home from Siberia, so now I'll walk home from Mongolia. <laughs> My new home was Hong Kong. Right. So, um, and I ended up... Um, you know, actually, this trip did become a bit commercialized. So I got a TV deal before I set off, book deals, newspaper article, which was actually, a, uh, I realized once I set off, was a, it was, I, you know, talking about goals and focus. I was completely unfocused on this trip because I had loads of different goals. I had to walk 5,000 kilometers with a heavy rucksack. But then I had to, like, film it, write about it. And it, and it ended up being this very unfocused trip which right. made it a, a much less fun trip than the cycling where i was just me you know, but now a job maybe I, it was, it now, was a, now a job yeah. it was job and i lost a little bit of control because i had people telling me some things that i should be doing and um i felt this pressure so it was quite a different it was a very good experience but not in this not the same sort of first rite of passage sort of trip so in some ways this was a uh, you were fulfilling the prophecy, weren't you? As you say, you'd done the first trip and then from a series of uh, interesting events, you'd become someone who was now well known for being an adventurer. Therefore, the pressure was on and you had to do it again. And here, you, you know, you found yourself now uh, with this. Thing. How far was this walk Is it from Mongolia to Hong Kong, uh, mileage wise? Yeah, uh, what are we talking? Uh, th- three and a half thousand miles. So it was six months, three and a half thousand miles um, walking. Initially, the first uh, about month was across the Gobi Desert in a mixture of um, Mongolia and then the, the Chinese side of the, Mon- uh, the Gobi. And then right down, we, went, we, we kind of, I, I took a camera, a friend who's a cameraman on this trip. So there are two of us. And we deliberately went right through the middle of China, which is less, you know, less well known than like the cities like Shanghai and Beijing on the, on the coast. So it was really interesting trip right through the middle of China. Um, Lots of adventures, but also walking is so much harder than cycling. There's a lot more kind of um, load on your body. Right. You're enduring. And, and, um, uh, and I think actually a lesson on this like, here's, is this is the Gobi in these pictures. Um, um, oh, wow. So you were hauling. You were actually off, hauling a cart. Yeah. Yeah. The first uh, two weeks across the Gobi, it was pretty empty. So we hauled a cart with all our stuff on it. Um, and um, the Gobi is actually quite an easy desert to walk across in some ways. It's quite, well, the part we were in, it's very flat and gravelly. And there are even quite a few, no- about once a day, about every 30 miles, you'll see some nomads right. who give you a cup of tea or something. So it's not like a purely empty desert, like a, a more recent trip I did. Right. Um, and um, and I've seen a physio before I set off. So, was, you know, we've been taught all these stretches we were supposed to do every night. Um Brilliant. Which was good for, for and, and I was very committed to that. But I think something that happened somewhere between about week four and week six, I started thinking, oh, my body is getting quite tough now. And we were walking these long 12 hour days and I sort of gradually stopped doing my stretches. And then about it was around about or maybe it was about week five. Um, we were walking along one day and suddenly I started getting this pain in my foot and um 
And I thought it was just, you know, silly pain. But then as the day went on, it got worse and worse. And after a couple of days, I could barely, I could literally barely walk. I was sort of having to stand on the side of my foot to walk. And I was sort of limping along. And we got eventually to a, a city and went to see the doctor and you know, had an x-ray. It was all a bit unclear what had gone on. But one of the theories was, it, didn't, it was a bit unclear from the x-ray, but was you can get these like uh, hairline fractures yep. on your metatarsal bones, the bone behind your toes. I like footballers. It, especially if you're, you're like not stretching. Yeah, like football. Yeah, it's like even super fit people can get yeah. them just from like constant pressure. And um and so that it might have been that or it might have been something else. We never knew for sure. But it was a major problem. Us. Um, and I suppose the, the less, you know, again, in hindsight, yeah. a big lesson, um, which I've had to learn again and again through life, I think we all learn, is just it's always tempting. We always have this dilemma um, uh, uh, because we know that hard work, pushing ourselves to our limits, that's really important for success. And it's a great thing to do in life. Push yourself to your limit. Uh, work really hard you'll succeed and it's kind of great you know all in sort of experience but the dilemma is if we push ourselves too hard too long too relentlessly or you push your team too hard too long too relentlessly smack at some point we've all got a breaking point and and for me it was dangerous like i could break my foot or in in, in another desert you know you could almost die if you over push yourself yeah uh in the corporate world it's more like someone has a burnout we all know amazing people who have burnouts um in the middle of promising careers um and uh or, or maybe it's more just the danger is we get so exhausted, we start making stupid decisions. And that's super costly, both for our career, for a business. Gotcha. Um, and and I think, so the message here, which I'm kind of preaching to myself, is, um, you know, we've got to keep on reminding ourselves to get the balance. But just the basics of you know, enough sleep, enough, you know, an extra 20 minutes sleep a night makes a huge difference if we're feeling uh, overwhelmed. Uh, 10 minutes exercise a day makes a huge difference in so many aspects. Eating vaguely sensibly makes a huge. So, um, uh, so yeah, the whole self care thing. I think I've learned a lot about on expeditions, but then it seems I often revert and am stupid again and over push myself, and then have to learn it again. This is incredibly relevant, Robin. Obviously, we've all endured a, a pandemic, and we mm. know, don't we, from the research that whilst we've had productive workforces, they've been utterly exhausted, and they've been on the verge of breaking point. And so, this is a this is a big theme right now for all of us in relation to mm. managing, and I'm going to use the phrase, and there's great debate that this phrase doesn't even exist, work-life balance. So mm-hmm. how are you balancing things when you're in the middle of an expedition such as this? Balancing that that self-care or some time to reflect and really think about what you're doing and planning and the doing, continuing, continuing to cycle, continuing to walk, continuing to push forward, continuing to overcome is there a is there a way of balancing or with hindsight it, it's all happening by osmosis in some way rob i don't know you tell me yeah i think i mean it it depends a bit on the context doesn't it i think sometimes one of the issues with this well like on the first journey the bicycle ride yeah i was my own captain so you know i could i could if i thought i'm exhausted i could take a week off you know if i really wanted to and i'd, I'd stay in a cheap hostel or something and and that, so i could recover like that right um, on this trip i think it's partly how we set things up and sometimes if we set ourselves up let, let's say in your business you agree to this very tight deadline with your client then you're gonna have to burn the candles at both ends 
to do it or you're going to lose that client. And, and if you set it up badly, so but I think a big part of it is like setting, setting stuff up well. Like if I'd set up this expedition with enough a month on my schedule, I wouldn't have been so pressed to walk such distances. Right. Um, but what sometimes you, when, you, when you've committed yourself uh, like I had TV deals and everything else and reasons I had to be home by a certain day. Once you set yourself up, sometimes you're, you've just got to try and get through it and, and just, you know, maybe reduce, you know, cut back on some of the sub goals you had in order to to still get across the line. Um, the ideal is to, to actually think it through a little bit beforehand and uh, give yourself that, that buffer zone. And then you, you, you're going to, you know, if you remember, like, realistically, there are going to be issues. Realistically, sometime this year, some people in my team are going to be sick. That will put us a bit behind schedule. Um, on some of my later expeditions, um, like uh, the one I'll talk about lastly, is yeah. I walked across this very hot desert and uh, I, I got almost got, well, I started getting heat stroke at one point. That's super dangerous on your own in a hot desert. And after that point, I, I just started every day, um, I had this umbrella and I'd hide under my umbrella and just have a two hour nap in the middle of the day uh, just to get myself at, sort of out of the heat for two hours. And that was my sort of self-care. And then I'd be able to walk much further in the evening when it was cooler. And so just simply like adjusting schedule, I think can just really rethinking how can I readjust things so that this is going to work better. Uh, learning to say no to stuff both before and during uh, is a huge thing, um, both on expeditions but in, in, in everything I think we do. Okay. So you had the 35,000-mile bike ride, which was pretty much you had the autonomy mm. and, and the freedom, and that was your first one, and what an incredible experience. Um, the second one was was the walk, as we say, from Mongolia to Hong Kong. That had become a little bit more commercial, I think you described it. And did that go out? Was, mm. was that a National Geographic program again, or how was that yeah, uh, recorded? Yeah, it was a TV show. Yeah, so we built. I had a cameraman with me, so they they made a, a four part show. So yeah. that most of the the shows I've done have mostly been uh, made for the Asia Australia network. Sometimes yeah. it's on a bit in Europe and places. But yeah, so that went out. I had a second book, which actually I found writing that book was quite a. It was sort of like reliving the whole slightly traumatic experience of that journey. Right. It was quite a sort of hard book to write, but a sort of slightly strangled book. I thought in the end, okay. um, and then I was feeling a bit. Um, I think I was feeling a bit kind of burnt out from the whole thing after that. Um, again, considered what should I do? Um, my wife then had a burnout in her job. So we were both feeling a bit like frazzled. And we, we went off to America and did a tandem bike ride from LA to New York, but quite slowly, like kind of gentle ride uh, to try and figure <laughs> stuff out. That was a holiday. And then, um, that was a well, relative <laughs> holiday. And then... Um, uh, and then I got back and I thought, you know what, I'm going to stop. I was sort of second guessing myself a bit every day. Like, shall I keep doing the adventure thing or should I go be a teacher or should I do something else? And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to just, just as a sort of experiment for five years, I'm going to just go all in with trying to be a, with the adventure thing. I'm going to give it for another five years and I'm going to, and not just the adventure, but I'm really going to try and work on the speaking as well and the writing. And, um, because it's, it's sort of that's the creative output, which I, which I find very interesting. And so I decided to do this next expedition, which was yeah. Um, this is now this is this the third one, the most year. recent one, isn't it? This is the third. Yeah, it's the most recent one, um, which is now about five years ago. So it's, it's a little bit away, but um, so it's in the middle of China, um, massive desert called the Taklamakan, uh, which isn't a very famous name, but it is. A, it's a big desert, one of the biggest sand. It's very it's basically a sand dune, some of the biggest sand dunes in the world, right. one of the biggest sand deserts in the world. 
700 miles across, the same size as Japan, one and a half times the size of Britain. You know, it's big desert. Um, and uh, and this was the plan to walk across it. And I did. Um, there were there are three roads that go through this desert in the 700 miles. So near to the roads, I hid some supplies. So I'd sort of supply drops I was going to pick up. It, I didn't have like a support team. It was just me. Right. Um, uh, and my wife kind of in Hong Kong. And I, I built a cart as well to pull across. I didn't want to use camels, but a cart to pull across that. And uh, I set off across this desert. At the beginning, I just had, a, I'd hidden my cart in the desert. It was set off with a rucksack, really heavy and really hot, like 40 degrees. Uh, I had this umbrella. To, where's the umbrella? Uh, umbrella just, to hide under. Yeah, just and, in the uh, side of the backpack there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, uh, there were some obstacles on the edge of the, the, the desert, like these rivers. And I had these great satellite maps I downloaded onto my phone so I could sort of see what was coming up. And there was this slightly wider river I'd seen on the on the map, which I'd have to cross to get into the sand, the big sand bit of the desert. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit nervous about this wider river because um, uh, 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 it looks a bit wide. But then I thought, well, it's a desert, so I should still be able to uh, wade through it, hopefully. And then I got to this uh, river and it wasn't just a little bit wide. It was like um, like a third of a mile wide, super wide river, um, very fast, very deep. And, and my first thought when I saw that was, um, this is impossible. I was sort of paralyzed. Like, there's no way I can cross this river. Uh, my rucksack weighed about 30 kilograms, uh, which is like one and a half check-in bags at the airport. So really heavy. Wow. A rucksack. I thought this is impossible. Uh, that was my first thought. Uh, but then I, I had this sort of second thought, which was, it's got to be possible. There's got to be a way to still get across this river. And um, and I ended up um, when I'm giving this talk as a, sp- a speech. Like I gave a speech last night, and and I, I usually get the audience to give me the answers. So so um, so people would often say, oh, well, you know, why don't you use your empty water bottles? You know, because you're drinking your water. Use your water bottles, help you float. And that's kind of part of the answer. Okay. And another, another thing is people say, well, why don't you um, walk along the, the river and find uh, a narrower place to cross? Or, and I, I did. I walked along. I found an island in the middle, which sort of split it in two. So that was good. Uh, but then the, the kind of key bit, which helped me to get all my stuff across, was, was first of all, I, I just got some videos uh, uh, first of all, I did a sort of test swim. Where am I now? Yeah, I did a sort of test swim where I swam across to the island and managed to get to the other side of the river eventually. Right. Uh, and then I came back and I split my load into five different piles. And I and I, I then ended up having to cross. In the end, I did 12 crossings, wow. taking a little bit of my stuff each time. And eventually I got all this kind of all my gear across this river and, and made it into the deep desert, which was sort of the start of the journey in a way. But um, it, again, it was a big... Um, I think this is sort of one of the lessons I've learned on the journeys as a whole. It's like often, and it's okay when we face these huge unexpected obstacles in life. And obviously you face a lot of unexpected obstacles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on, a, on an expedition, but everyone in life, we're all facing so many unexpected challenges. And it's okay if our first reaction is to think it's impossible. I can't find a way through this. But but the key thing is to have a second reaction, which is, think it's got to be possible and we can usually figure out a way to keep on going now i'm fascinated by the answer to this this question mm-hmm. rob lillwall at 27 prior to doing any expedition and rob lillwall today 
after <laughs> looking at the footage find you of you you crawling up a sand dune uh, tugging a car so <laughs> forgive me for anyone who's listening to this but I, we're going to get this video out as well because it's, it's brilliant um what's been that transformation the 27 year old as you say frightened school teacher to now you and i chatting three expeditions in the bag well let's say there's more because there are other things that you've done i know what's been the biggest change or transformation in you well i mean it's i mean we all change so i'm I'm 45 now so we all change and that that you know that you know and you 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 know you've had this amazing career and faced many challenges which is which is just different forms of what i'm doing essentially I'm sure, sure um so we all grow up through especially when we keep on whatever we do if we keep on kind of trying to embrace the challenge get out of our comfort zone i think we all change a lot um i suppose i've been lucky because um well i've been lucky to to have the Inter- quite interesting <laughs> silly adventures but um i've also been lucky i've had a chance to write books and so on which which is quite a for me it's a very ponderous experience and i'm just finishing a book about this desert at the moment and this one um i'm a dad now i've got two little children okay. and i think it's i've really started reflecting on um you know the the deeper letters you know your initial question of why yeah and i think i've realized you know, I'll try and be really honest here. I think there are some quite noble reasons I've been on adventures, you know, like I want to grow, I want to, you know, learn, I want to get out of my comfort zone, I want to make myself into a, you know, sort of more kind of better person, whatever. Those are all quite noble reasons. They're good reasons to to do these things. Then there's the sort of neutral reasons, which is, it's my job. You know, I've got to occasionally do a silly adventure. (laughs) I've just got to pay the bills. We've all got to do something. Uh, So that's a sort of neutral reason. It's not not good or bad. And then I'd say what what I've kind of discovered as I've been more honest about myself is there are the sort of embarrassing reasons. And that is the sort of, I think I, I really felt this need to prove myself. I was still, although I'd become more confident superficially, like I could give speeches on stages, which I never would have done before my journeys. Yeah. Um, uh, I was more confident superficially, but deep down still very insecure, very imposter syndrome sort of feeling that I needed to prove myself to myself that I'm a real adventure, prove myself to kind of everyone, like the anonymous masses. I, just, I don't know who I was trying to prove myself to. Most people really don't really care, but... Um, I felt this need to prove myself. And I and on this desert journey, more than any other, it was 700 miles. A lot of it was in these, you know, sand dunes. A lot of things went, but, you know, this the trip went badly wrong. In many ways, I had to change my route. I had to compromise my initial goals quite a lot to sort of get to the end. But I, I did get to the end with this sort of compromised route. Um, but I, as I went through all these things which were going wrong, the failure, this deep sense of like, oh, I'm such a failure because I, you know, I was trying to do this and I haven't done it exactly as I planned, yeah. but it really forced me to face these questions. And I started to realize actually, you know, and it was when I finished, I got eventually I got to the end. I got, let me see if I got this video here. I got to the end. Uh, where's the video? Um, I got to the end. Oh yeah. yeah I, I knew I got to the end of this, this uh, desert. That's a great adventurer's you know, beard, Rob. I just want to say yeah, as well, right? I had the beard, I had the beard, I had the dirty hat. And, uh, and then I knew I got to the end when I saw this little pond right on the other side, start, you know, the beginning of the river, the desert was this river. Then the other end, I got to this pond, which we'll see in a sec. And I jumped in this pond and I was so happy. I walked to the nearest road. I hitchhiked out of the desert and I, um, and as I was kind of hitchhiking out of the desert, I, um, I, I thought, you know what, that was, that was such a tough expedition. Um, I don't think I can call that a pure 
crossing of this desert because I'd had to sort of divert my route. I'd had to walk on some yeah. roads and stuff and some bits. Um, so I can't call it a pure crossing, but you know what? I don't mind. And it was the first time on all my journeys where I was like, I, you know, I think we live in this very achievement orientated culture and where our whole identity is bound up in achievement. And I think it's great to have big goals and big dreams and, and you know, to, to push us out of our comfort zone to, to, to try and achieve them. But I think it's, it was a wonderful new kind of liberating approach to life for me to realize, yeah, aim high, do your best, but hold, hold those a little bit lighter and just every time you get knocked down, the, the most important thing is you get up and you have this sort of, you're developing a character where you're the sort of person who gets up, you keep facing your fears, you keep sort of trying to do the right thing. Um, it's more important than the achievement. I, I don't think I'm articulating it as well as I want to here, but it was a, it was a big realization having realized I was driven by these very vain, insecure, deep drivers to realize that, you know, my friends will still like me whether I get across this desert or not. That's not really... You know, you know, that's probably more, you know, my wife will still love me. Um, so so it was a huge discovery for me. And I felt felt very liberated, actually. And I want to do more adventures, when my, maybe when my kids are a bit older. But I feel a bit liberated from that need to prove myself now, which is it's a much nicer feeling. I mean, listen, you're human as well, aren't you? Which, you know, also lends itself to enjoy the journey, not just the destination. As you say, you, you still achieved an incredible thing by, you know, traversing that that desert, and is that even though you compromised mm. the route, what a story, what an adventure, what an, what an achievement. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you, that, that those are the things that you still relish, you still remember, and uh, what you're still writing about now. Um, I'm intrigued by, obviously, you're a family man now with kids. What's next? What are you thinking might be next? You might not know what's next. What, what's on your mind? Yeah. Um, well, I think so. Just to pick up on something you just said, you know, yeah. um, you know, it's not about the the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. You know, it's that famous kind of not about the de- destination. It's about the journey, which I think is a cool quote. Well, I, I prefer to because I thought about that quote, and I actually prefer to say it's not about the destination and it's not about the journey. It's about the person you become on the way, and I think that's really become my, you know, sort of the driving thing is like. Um, it's it's what the journey does to you and journeys you know life can make us bitter or it can make us better you know as we face all the ups and downs of life and i think that's a key thing and i think that's something you know you're talking about life now i think that's what i sort of aspire and think about more um uh, as i approach different things right now we've just left hong kong in uh, we lived in hong kong for 11 years we've got two little kids now moved yep. to singapore where we arrived a few months ago so it's a bit of a new chapter for us i think the whole virus uh, thing as for everybody's it's well, it been a bit of a pause and rethink it was tough in different ways i mean we we were in a in a bubble so mostly there was very little virus until february which is after i left you know tragic tragic in february it, right. it hit Hong Kong, but we were in this bubble of, you know, very rapid change of the, the sort of society and, and the, the, the mood, I'd say, of, of Hong Kong as a, as a place um, which we didn't really feel comfortable with, with staying Changed. in with, with children yeah. long term for us. So everyone feels different about that. But, um, but uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a, it was a bit of a, 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 rest, a time to think when we were stuck in Hong Kong for two years and a reset really in Singapore. And so now I've got a one-year-old, a five-year-old, um, I think we are, my wife is quite up for us doing some family journeys. I think right. we'll probably wait till the kids are a little bit older. It seems a, a, not quite the right stage at the moment. <laughs> yeah, one and five. Um, That's a challenge. One and five. 
that one just that on its own, just flying to England as a child. Um, so, um, so uh, yeah. So I think we're we're sort of um, uh, just sort of holding the fort a bit at the moment. Doing a lot. Of, I've actually really enjoyed. I think I, I went from thinking, you know, very grandiosely thinking, you know, trying to be the best adventurer in the world, which of course I never was going to be. But I think that was sort of what you know, sort of driving force. You've got to do better adventures. And I sort of thought, no, I'm going to try and be the most honest adventure speaker in the world. So, you know, sort of different focus. So yeah. I've, it's been really fun thinking about how to turn these into more and more honest stories. And I, I always feel in life, the more honest we are, actually, the more relatable it is. Well, I would agree um, with you. People that aren't that interested in victory stories because most of us don't, aren't total victories. If we're, um, so, um, uh, yeah, so that, I think and writing the book's been a real kind of ma- massive uh projects actually I, actually it's due with my editor today i've got to send it in after this interview so oh, well, um, good so luck I with that been, yeah yeah it's almost that um so a bit more of an artistic sort of um challenge at the moment and but i do hope we'll do more adventures i don't think i will take the same sort of risks especially obviously if i'm with yeah. my family but even if i'm not with my family i think that the moment i held my first baby in my arms it was a, a, a many of us will relate to that feeling of like I better stay alive for this person. So, you know, it's quite a quite a um, profound moment, and and that's I actually I feel like I'm a, almost I was saying to my wife, am I too risk averse now? I'm like I'm Mister Cautious with those kids, and and it's that weird. Um, well, children balance. will change yeah, everything. Yeah, they change, but you you've got to let uh, you've got to let your children um, take risks as well. You know, it's, it, life is is a place where you've got to learn to take risks and be bold. So anyway, that's that's a challenge. Well, now we've we've marched a great pace. No, no pun intended, really, uh, through those three yeah. incredible stories. How can people get in touch? How can people read more uh, or, or even book you, that, you know, for you to talk to teams in relation to the, the learnings and, and the adventures you've had? What's the best way for people to connect? Yeah, just uh, through LinkedIn or my website, you can email us. Um, yeah, drop, drop me a line. And, um, yeah, very happy to to uh if people need speaking then that's great if you're more interested in the the reading side i've got you know a couple of books there on amazon um the third book i think will come out in about a year depending on how the editing process goes um and uh yeah so um so what's the uh love to hear from anybody so for those who are listening what's the uh, yeah uh, how do they connect on linkedin are you just under rob lillwall linkedin yeah i I think i think i'm still the only rob lillwall or the only rob lillwall i found so it's just rob L I L W A L L. Great. And, and the, the website. website is the same is Rob Lilwall, R O B L I L W A L L dot com. Fabulous. So let me ask you my final question. Yeah. Out of all of this incredible, rich experience, learning, adventure, what would be the single most important piece of leadership advice? you've ever given or received i mean i, I i'm gonna go for a deep one because obviously there are many ways to answer that but, go for it but i think i think the deep one is just to try and be really honest with oneself to be honest with um yeah try to as one get especially as you get you know gradually go, go the years go by to just try and be really honest what's driving me what's you know how am i actually coming across to other people how where am i where what are my blind spots um and just to try and be be super honest. And, and that includes being honest about things like fear. You know, we talked about fear earlier and how fear can hold us back and yeah. being, or sometimes we're over optimistic and just trying to be really honest with what's the actual risk here. What, how should I actually be preparing for this? So I think just, just having more and more honesty, um, it's got so many, uh, yeah, which links to self-awareness as well. It, it's got so many benefits, which 
you know, we all we all learn as we go. Or some people, I think, you know, we, we're all tempted sometimes to, to shut ourselves off from some of the honest insights we have. And I think just to try and embrace those and face those and talk about those with people we trust, I found super, super kind of valuable. I think the expeditions have sort of forced me on that journey in a good way. Rob, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. I'm incredibly grateful. I hope you've enjoyed the experience as well. Just thank you for being a superstar on the Leadership Enigma. Great. So great to talk to you. Cheers now. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.